Welcome to the Florida Roundup, and thanks for listening. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. And I'm Matthew Petty in Tampa. Well, homeowners in Florida have seen their premiums go up and up. Some have been dumped by their insurer or had to wait and wait for claims to be paid out. Insurance companies, meanwhile, have been leaving the Sunshine State or going insolvent, and Florida's insurer of last resort citizens has become the only option for some homeowners. That's right. Now, this week, the legislature met in special session for the second time to try to fix these problems. Lawmakers are rushing through changes to the troubled Florida insurance market, including a $1 billion program to help struggling insurance companies. The new law also discourages lawsuits against insurance companies that deny your claims, including removing the so-called one-way attorney fees. Now, that's where policyholders can make the company pay their attorney's fees if they win the lawsuit. But one thing it appears the new laws won't do, give Florida homeowners immediate relief from those skyrocketing premiums. If you're one of those people paying so much more for insurance out there, we want to hear from you. Or maybe you've lost your policy, you've been dropped. Give us a call statewide live right now, 305-995-1800, or tweet us at Florida Roundup. To help us work through the details of this second special session on insurance and what it means for all of us in Florida, we're pleased to welcome investigative reporter Jason Garcia. He publishes the newsletter Seeking Rents on Substack. Jason, good to have you. So what are the biggest changes we can expect with this new law about insurance? Well, hey there. Thanks for having me. Um, you can you can sort of, this is an enormous bill, but you can sort of put everything into four big buckets. Um, the biggest and most consequential by far is that it will significantly curtail and restrict the ability of a consumer or policyholder to sue an insurance company that does not pay a claim or does not fully pay a claim. It makes a whole bunch of restrictions on, on your ability to, to find legal representation and to pursue an action in court against an insurer. Um, the second biggest thing probably is uh, for the hundreds of thousands of Floridians enrolled in citizens, this will raise your rates in citizens. It makes a number of changes, including um, forcing policyholders of citizens to leave if a private insurer comes along and offers them a private policy that is up to 20% more expensive than the price they're currently paying. Mm. The third big thing it does is it puts about a billion dollars of taxpayer money into a publicly subsidized reinsurance program. And that's that's insurance that insurance companies buy for themselves. And that's become a big driver. The price of private market reinsurance has become a big driver of insurance costs. So having publicly subsidized reinsurance in theory should allow them to access, to bring down some of their costs. And then the fourth thing it does is it makes a bunch of changes on both sides of the equation to, to the timeline for filing and resolving claims. So on the pro-consumer side, it gives insurance companies, it requires them to resolve a claim much faster, although it allows them an out from this sped up timeline in the aftermath of something like a hurricane. On the anti-consumer side, it also gives her, uh, consumers far less time to file a claim after a hurricane. Right now, under current law, you can file a claim with a, up to within two years of, of damage following a hurricane. That'll be cut in half to one year. Lots of changes. Let's go through these, uh, I guess, one by one. Beginning with uh, the argument that lawmakers and supporters of this legislation made about cracking down on frivolous lawsuits, they say that had to be done to stabilize the market. Critics say it'll make it harder for you to sue your insurer. 
Democrats in the legislature particularly were critical of that piece. What are the real world implications of this change, do you think? Yeah, it is, it is indisputable that it will make it harder to sue an insurance company. I'll just I'll give you two sort of specific and probably the two most consequential changes here. The first is, I think you might have mentioned earlier, one-way attorney fees. And, and what it is, for, for more than 100 years in Florida, um, if you sued an insurance company that refused to pay a claim and you won, you then could make the insurance company pay for your attorney's fees. That law will go away under this law. And so you, if you sue an insurance company, you can still sue an insurance company, but you have to pay your own lawyer fees even if you win. Um, and that's going to make it a much harder to find an attorney willing to take on that case. The other thing it does is it, it completely eliminates your ability to, to engage in something called assignment of benefits. And that, what that means is if you have a claim after a storm, you have a, a contractual legal right to sign that claim over to, say, the uh, the roofing contractor or the water damage remediator who did the work to sell them. You can sign your claim over to them and they can pursue it. Theoretically, they would have more resources to pursue a claim against the big insurance company. This legislation takes away your right to assign that claim. Hmm. So it is it is indisputable that this will make it harder to sue an insurance company. Now, the argument in favor of this is that the insurance industry has said for several years now has has claimed that frivolous litigation or excessive litigation is a big driver of why they're they're raising rates so highly. And so the legislature and, and Governor Ron DeSantis have essentially accepted their argument here. They've said they've decided that they they will they believe the insurance companies that what's going on here is is lawsuit costs are driving up the cost of insurance. So they're giving the insurance industry exactly what it wants by making it harder than ever to file these kinds of lawsuits. Mm. Well, of course, we'll go to calls in a moment on this. People are already calling in to talk about their concerns about rates uh, at 305-995-1800 statewide live right now here on the Florida Roundup. But uh, will homeowners see any relief on these skyrocketing premiums? That's the big question most people have. Yeah, and the immediate question is no. I think everybody agrees, including this, uh, the proponents, that there will be no, there, there is no chance of any sort of near-term rate reductions. The relief that um, that the governor and the legislature are are sort of offering here is that by restricting all of these lawsuits, by forcing people in the publicly backed citizens uh, insurance company to pay higher prices or just force them out into the private market altogether that they will create an environment where more insurers will want to write policies. And by virtue of that happening, the competition that will then come from that will eventually lead to better policies, better claims paying uh, processes, and hopefully uh, lower or at least less uh, rapidly increasing rates. But it is by no means a guarantee that that will happen. And even if it does, you're likely looking at several years for this stuff to work its way out to, to produce that result. But in the, media, in the immediate term, we're likely to see rates continue to rise. And the other big question people are hoping uh, to get an answer about, in particular homeowners that have been dropped by their insurer and can't find another one, and as you mentioned, their last resort is citizens, property insurance. There will be changes made to that bucket. What about that group of homeowners that are uh, twisting in the wind? Yeah, and and these are the folks that are going to feel this uh, feel this pain the hardest. So, to give you one example, right now, uh, if you are enrolled in Citizens, you, you can only get into Citizens if you can't find a private qu- a, a quote from a private insurance company um, 
if you can't if you can't find a private quote that's at least twenty percent uh, more expensive than citizens, that's the only time you can get into citizens. Uh, but once you're into citizens, you can stay there and unless a private insurer comes along and offers you a policy at the same price or better, you can stay in citizens. This legislation will cha will change that. So if a private insurer comes along and offers you a policy that is 20% more expensive, you will be forced to take that. The legislation will also require over, this gets phased in over time, but all citizens holders, policyholders, regardless of whether or not they are in a flood zone or not, to, to buy private or to buy flood insurance as well. Now, this is not a requirement they are making of uh, homeowners uh, covered by private insurance companies. So this is clearly designed to make the cost of enrolling in citizens even more prohibitive to drive more consumers to to hopefully pick a private insurer, even if that is more expensive on its on the surface. 305-995-1800 is the number. If you want to call in, we're uh, live on the air with Jason Garcia, investigative reporter, talking about the recent homeowners insurance special session, what that means for homeowners. Uh, let's go to Brandon and Davey. Brandon, you're on the air. Hey, thanks for having my call. Sure. I uh, live uh, West Davey, uh, close to I-75. I have an acre house, actually. But my point is my insurance kept going up and up and up. So the instant I paid off my house, uh, like two years ago, I dropped it immediately because the cost of my roof is $20,000 for a shingle roof. Mm -hmm. And the cost of insurance for about three years is about $20,000. And I'm like, well, how does this make any sense? Why right. would anybody pay for insurance if they didn't have to, if it wasn't a law, uh, mm -hmm. versus just pay on a new roof if you ever have a major issue with a hurricane or a damage to your property? Because the deductibles are very high. And insurance is kind of a scam. They only give you insurance when you don't need it. They make you do roof inspections, home inspections. They say, as long as you don't need insurance, we'll give it to you. But if, if you actually need it, we're going to way overcharge or deny it completely. Like my mom, who's retired in East Hollywood, and they won't even give her insurance on her old house with old roof because she, they said you have to get a new roof before we insure you. And she just doesn't have – she's on Social Security. It's very low. I think it's like $900 a month or $800 a month. And she's just not going to pay the insurance. She can't afford it. So, right. you know, insurance is kind of a scam. And I highly encourage everybody to drop it the instant you get a chance. Brandon, thanks for your call. I appreciate it. Uh, Jason, what about that? Do you think, uh, based on what's come out of the special session, we could see a flurry of folks saying, I'm just going to take my chances, drop my insurance, and see what happens? Yeah, I think you're you're seeing that uh, already. You're seeing more. We're hearing more and more stories of homeowners who, um, if they've paid off their mortgages and they're not required by their bank to have home insurance, foregoing it, which is you know, which obviously an incredibly dangerous situation to be in. But the the price of insurance has gotten so high that there are a lot of folks, just like that caller, that are doing the math and deciding it is much re it is much uh, it is it makes much more sense for me to roll the dice rather than pay these premiums. Um, Especially when you consider now that, as the as the listener suggested, when you make a claim, if uh, if you get into a situation where the insurance company is really sort of dragging its feet on it or contesting the claim or something, you now will have less recourse to try and pressure them through the mm. courts. Right. Well, theoretically, the fact that it's 60 rather than 90 days, insurance companies will have to hurry up a wee bit to give you either the yes or no. Yeah, that's true. But also, again, remember that... 90 to 60 day change. So, so right now insurers have 90 days to resolve a claim that that timeline is getting shorted, shortened to 60 days, which is a good thing for consumers. 
but there's a there's a pretty big uh, uh, loophole to that where they've uh, allowed that that deadline to be extended um, uh, if there are circumstances beyond the control of the insurance company, which can include hurricanes. Hmm. Let's go to Lisa in Clearwater. Uh, Lisa, uh, you're on the air. What's on your mind? Um, yeah, so I did see my homeowner's insurance go up this year, $2,000. Mm-hmm. I have a brand new roof. I have wind mitigation clamps on my roof. I have storm protection windows. We've invested a significant amount of money into this home, and my homeowner's insurance still went up $2,000 a year. Meantime, I'm watching on Clearwater Beach, hotel after hotel after hotel right on the beach, right in the path. If we had been hit, they would have been devastated. Hmm. And the way flood insurance works is the insurance company doesn't pay for it anyway. They just mitigate the claim. And flood insurance is funded by the federal government. So Hmm. insurance companies in this instance, are really not doing us a service. But the person, the people that bother me the most are our legislators in Tallahassee. We've seen this exact ploy before when we had George W. Bush do tort reform. If mm-hmm. we could not sue doctors for all of these malpractice problems, then our, in, our insurance claims would go down. And as we know, all they've done is go up and up and up and up. So I expect nothing less from Tallahassee. They don't care about their constituents whatsoever. Clearly, this is a ploy to big business and high dollar. Lisa, thanks for your call and uh, appreciate you weighing in there. Uh, Jason, just the, the thought on tort reform. I mean, there could be some spin-on effects, I guess, or knock-on effects from from this. I mean, I think you wrote in your substack that other industries will be watching with interest to see what happens here and maybe lining up to say we would like a piece of this too. Oh, you there? Yes. Oh, sorry. I lost you for a sec, but uh, I think you asked, you asked uh, if we, if we'll see follow on uh, mm-hmm. impacts of sort of the lost route restrictions here. And I think that's inevitable. Um, the, some of the, the most onerous uh, legal reform restrictions here. So we talked about the eliminating one way attorney fees or eliminating your ability to assign your the benefits of your policy to, to somebody else. Those only apply to the property insurance litigation, but it is mm-hmm. uh, it is utterly inevitable that auto insurers will come looking for the same treatment. Health insurers will come looking for the same treatment. I mean, tort reform generally. So tort is technically, that's when uh, a business is engaged in negligence and insurance we're more, like, we're more dealing with like contract law, but the, the principle in terms of access to courts and restricting lawsuits is still the same. Um, but so tort reform and lawsuit restrictions, this is, you know, aside from cutting corporate taxes and business taxes is the single biggest thing the business lobby pushes for every year in Tallahassee. So there will be an enormous push over the next few years to expand these restrictions to other forms of insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting some tweets as well. Lawrence writes on Twitter, our insurance went insolvent. The only replacement we could find tripled our cost one month after securing the policy they told us. We had to replace our 15-year-old tile roof. Immediately, our premium would go up, or immediately our premium would go up by an additional $16,000. That's a pretty hefty hike. Um, uh, Jason, there were some lawmakers uh, uh, 
mostly on the Democratic side of the aisle, but a few on the Republican side saying, look, we, we're, we're concerned about uh, these continued rate hikes. And there hasn't been a, an awful lot of, I guess, clarity on if uh, rates will stop going up and, and if so, when. Um, what were you hearing kind of watching what was playing out this week? Oh, yeah, there was uh, there were several efforts by Democratic legislators to mandate uh, rate reductions or rate caps or increase caps. Um, and all of those were rejected. The, the, the central argument from the Republican supporters of this is that we essentially need to give these insurance companies the, the, the playing field they need or the playing field they want in order to bring them back in. And, and like I said earlier, the, the, the hope, the long-term hope is that that competition will eventually lead to some sort of rate relief. Uh, but there is no guarantee of it. Um, and any effort to sort of mandate uh, any immediate rate, uh, any, any immediate rate reduction was just rejected out of hand. Yes, indeed. Uh, let's go to Randy, if we could, real quick. Randy, you're on the air. Yes, so this is Randy from Bradenton. I just wanted to call in and point out that, uh, from my personal experience, this year I had to uh, try to look for a new insurance company because my mm -hmm. existing homeowner's company wanted to raise, and they did, raise my rates by over 50%. They did that through a technicality because they really were not permitted to to do that. But anyway, uh, in order to uh, get new insurance, I reviewed a lot of insurance companies that might have a slightly lower rate. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing to see how many homeowners, when they review these companies, have gone through harrowing experiences where the insurance company has stonewalled and been completely unfair. And then they finally got that resolved through legal uh, means. Mm -hmm. Now right. those kinds of means are not per going to be available or available e as easily. So it's right. clear that this this uh, law, this change has been one-sided, all in favor of the insurance companies and with no regard. They should have done a fair thing and done some things to the insurance companies to make sure that they that they really did the right thing by their customers, but they did yeah. nothing. Uh, Randy, thanks so much for your call. A lot of sentiments uh coming in this way, uh, Melissa, but yeah, much more to talk about. Yeah, much more. Uh, folks, if you're on hold, don't hang up. Lots of people waiting to talk about this very hot issue for so many Florida homeowners. What are your thoughts about the new property insurance reform law just signed by the governor? I know you all need relief. Our expert on the line here says we're not going to get it, at least not right away. Your questions, calls, and tweets after the break here on the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. And I'm Matthew Petty in Tampa. Well, we're talking this hour about homeowners insurance, the special session that just was and what that means for you. You can call in with your questions and comments, uh, 305-995-1800, or send us a tweet as well. Uh, Spinator writes via Twitter, I empathize with the caller who recommended dropping homeowners insurance, but also strongly advise against it. Family around the corner from us did just that, went out of town, and house, house burnt to the ground because of an electrical issue. Husband had justified it. 
the same way. Uh, Melissa, some pitfalls there for folks who are thinking, I'm going to just go without and, and see what happens. I know it. Uh, Jason Garcia, uh, that would be the, the nightmare scenario, certainly. Uh, paying these hideously high rates is tough enough, but imagine being in that position. Oh yeah, there, there there is no uh, there is no doubt that going bare essentially with homeowners insurance is an incredibly risky idea and and the sort of thing you should avoid at all costs if if you can. Let's go to a few more calls now for Jason. Calls coming in to us here on the Florida Roundup from across Florida. Uh, let's go to Stacy in St. Pete. Stacy, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. Go ahead, Stacy. What's your story? Hi, thanks for taking my call. I live in St. Petersburg. I have a 1950s home, and we were in the JUA for a long time. We've owned our home over 25 years, and we were covered by the JUA for a long time. I'm sorry. Can well, you explain what have... that? Can you explain what that is for people that might not know? Um, the JUA basically was like a pool that would find you a company if you were an older home and you mm-hmm. had trouble finding insurance. That was my best understanding of it. Okay. Um, we ended up finding a company that we had for probably 10 years, and we were happy with them, and they were a pretty decent rate, I guess, uh, comparatively. And then all of a sudden, they said, oh, well, you need a new roof, and you need a few things, or we're going to drop you. So we did everything they said to do. We put a new roof on, and we fixed this, and we fixed that, the whole list. And when we got done spending... You know, we, we put our own roof on, and we did a wind mitigation. We got it inspected, permitted. Everything was done, and we did all the fixes they want us to do, and they still dropped us because of the age of the home, even after they said if we fixed everything, they would keep us. Then we found another company, and the only place that would cover us, everybody said because of the age of our home, they would not cover us. The only place that would cover us is if they did a bare-bones policy where it doesn't cover anything inside. It only covers the house if it gets a tree smashed on it or hurricane makes it blow away, or if you have a fire. And then mm-hmm. we watched it go up $500 a year. We got it in 19, and now it just went up $1,300 more in one year. Wow. So it doesn't cover hardly anything, and it's $3,300 a year for an 1,100-square-foot home. That has not much value at all. It's single, it's a 50s home. We didn't do a lot to it. So we're stuck with it, and I feel somewhat like once we pay it off in a few years, I feel the same way he did about not having any insurance, but then hearing the story about it going up in flames is scary enough, mm-hmm. so you want something. Mm-hmm. So that's really my comment. Thank you, Stacey, and I'm so sorry. And Jason Garcia, we hear stories like this over and over again, and from what your reporting is showing For a lot of Florida homeowners, there is no real solution, no real relief, at least not yet. Yeah, there's no real relief in terms of rates anytime soon. I mean, the the closest thing to to relief in that context is the ability to enroll in citizens. But as we talked about, um, this bill sort of sends like some of its harshest changes at citizens to try and drive those rates up as high as possible to, to get people out of citizens. Um, just to give you one example that we haven't talked about yet, but it sort of intersects with what one of the other callers um, talked about. You know, flood insurance is uh, private insurers don't cover flood insurance. Neither does citizens. That's all handled through um, 
that's all covered by the National Flood Insurance Program. So it is, um, especially after hurricanes, it is often a source of contention with your insurance company if, if damage, uh, if water damage was caused by wind and rain versus flooding. Um, one of the changes they are making to citizens policyholders now is if you file a water damage claim uh, with citizens going forward, it will be up to you to prove that that water damage was not caused by flooding rather than making citizens prove that it was caused by flooding. So that's going to force you to take on a bunch of, uh, you know, upfront costs. You're, you're going to need the engineers and experts to come in and sort of prove up that that this was a wind and rain event, not a flood event. And it's just another one of those changes that will make a, a citizen's policy less attractive and, and sort of more cumbersome and expensive to maintain. Susan tweets the show, the caller just now made clear why the free market system for something we have to have is not a good model. Homeowners insurance is something most of us need. It's not like an extra dress that we can do without, she says. So Jason, what about this? And and this spectacle we're seeing of homeowners being dropped by their insurers, even though they do everything that they're expected to do, like getting a new roof or whatever it is, and then they get dropped. What, what about this argument that leaving this up to the vicissitudes of the private market is no longer working for many Florida residents? Yeah, that's an argument. Um, we actually heard this argument the the last time we went through a real property insurance crisis, and that would have been back in uh, 2007, following the, the the really busy storm seasons of 2004 and 2005. And there was um there was a concerted push to essentially, and it was actually led by by uh, former Governor Charlie Crist, uh, the guy who ran and lost to uh, Governor Ron DeSantis um, this past election. But there was a real push to make citizens essentially essentially unshackle citizens and just make it a, a public insurance company that anybody could choose to enroll in um, with the idea that citizens would um, would undercut, you know, the private market uh, because it doesn't have to turn a profit, right? It doesn't have to do a lot of these, um, you know, really sort of profit-oriented moves that, that can end up hurting consumers who are just trying to get a claim paid. Um, there was that push. It, it ultimately was rejected. You know, there's a it's a it's obviously a very complicated question in the sense of in one sense if you if you expanded citizens everywhere you know you would start to build in some real diversity and protection into citizens policies it wouldn't just be covering the most expensive hardest to insure policies it would have a broader uh, uh, more geographically diverse base if a storm came across but i mean there are obviously real consequences to having a public insurer do all your insurance in that um it is highly unlikely that a public insurer will ever charge adequately sound rates because, I mean, it, it, a, it's really expensive to do that in Florida, a peninsula jutting out into an ocean at the time of increasingly intense storms. Um, but B, you know, the elected officials who are ultimately in charge of that uh, public uh, public insurance company are not going to want to do um, to to raise rates to the point of angering their own voters. We've been speaking with Jason Garcia about the recent homeowners uh, insurance special session and what that means for everybody here, companies and homeowners included. Uh, you can find Jason, if you like his reporting, go subscribe to his Substack. It's called Seeking Rents. He's also got a podcast. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me.
Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. I'm Matthew Petty in Tampa. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis waged a successful uh, re-election campaign based on the notion of what he calls the free state of Florida. At the center of that is the governor's approach to COVID-19, touting Florida as anti-lockdown and open for business. DeSantis also took on vaccine mandates last year. He signed bills to limit such mandates, and he sued the federal government over requirements for federal contractors to be vaccinated. Meantime, DeSantis's Surgeon General, Joseph Latipo, has actually questioned the safety of COVID vaccines and the mRNA technology used in them. Most health experts and doctors disagree with Latipo about his criticisms. Well, now DeSantis is taking that a step further. The governor is calling for a grand jury to investigate what he calls crimes and wrongs in connection with the vaccines. For more on the politics and the health policy implications as Florida, Florida fights a triple-demic of COVID, flu, and RSV, we welcome Dr. Jen Cowart of the Florida Physicians Group, Doctors Fighting COVID, and also joined by Eric Sarkissian, health reporter at Politico. You can weigh in as well. The number to call is 305-995-1800. Send us a tweet at the Florida Roundup. Uh, Dr. Cowart, let me start with you first. Your reaction to the governor's announcement, what do you make of that? Uh, thank you so much for having me here today. Uh, I really am quite concerned by the idea that there would be this investigation into uh, COVID vaccines when time and time and, and well-reviewed, peer-reviewed, published study over and over again have not demonstrated any kinds of harms or ill effects of a sort that this would be needed. Um, you know, this this grand jury has been compared to tobacco trials and, and investigations into the companies that, you know, hid over time the very serious harms that we now all understand from smoking tobacco. Um, and this is a vaccine, these vaccines from uh, Pfizer, Moderna, Janssen that are available in the United States. These are actively in use in practice. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm a physician. I recommend these vaccines to my patients routinely. Uh, I have taken them. I encourage people to get them. And I have not seen anything that would give me the kind of, of pause as someone dedicated to try to keep people safe. I've not seen anything that would lead me to change that practice. And so I'm, I'm deeply troubled by the idea that um, that we could be opening this kind of investigation into a product that so many millions of Americans have taken safely, need to take. Uh, and we are seeing, you know, some early rise in COVID in the fall. And it's it's just a really important thing that we'd be looking at it from the scientific perspective. On that note, though, I mean, is there some merit in, you know, having a, a healthy amount of skepticism over, you know, the speed at which vaccines are rolled out or, and of course, the Dr. Latipo and, and others who question vaccines have have mentioned the the kind of connection with um, cardiac issues. Like, what's the best way to approach those concerns? Yeah, thank you for that. So uh, we know, and this has been now well studied in the COVID vaccines, that there is a small uh, rise in the risk of something called myocarditis and pericarditis, some inflammation of the tissue surrounding the heart or the heart itself. It seems that the risk is higher if you get COVID itself 
rather mm -hmm. than taking the COVID vaccine. And we also know that, that this risk is a bit more increased in young men, particularly men under the age of 40, uh, when you look at all the folks that have taken the vaccine. Uh, but we also know that this, if, if a person does receive, you know, does get this rare complication, uh, they do fine. They recover from this. This is something that we could counsel a patient with the risks and benefits. Uh, mm -hmm. We counsel patients on risks and benefits all the time. I counsel patients on taking aspirin, on taking uh, blood thinners. There's obviously risks and benefits to these medicines, and we have to use them in certain scenarios. So I would say this is not the kind of signal of safety signal that I would say, oh, no, these vaccines are not safe. In fact, I think it's a real testament to the scientific community that we've continued to identify any problems that have come up in post-marketing surveillance with these vaccines. And then we've studied it and we've determined that the risk of getting COVID still outweighs the risk, uh, this small, rare risk of getting myocarditis. Mm -hmm. And this is something I can counsel a patient on. And then if they just, if they choose not to take the vaccine after weighing the risks and benefits, then I can support them with that. Um, but I, I belong to the medical community. Our job is to try to keep people safe. And if we had serious concerns concerns in peer-related, peer-reviewed publications that these vaccines were not safe, we would not be recommending them. We would not be using them. We would say, stop, you know, let's, let's not do this. So the last question you asked, I think, was the mRNA vaccine technology. Mm -hmm. And yes, these yeah. were, this was a new technology that we were, you know, that was used in these vaccines. But the technology itself had been well studied over a period of over a decade. This just happened to be the first large commercial production of a vaccine using this technology. But the, the technology itself had been well tested over a very long period of time for its efficacy and safety. And its real benefit was in getting the vaccine up and produced and out into the hands of the community so rapidly. So I think you know, I think it's perfectly healthy and normal to ask questions, to, uh, you know, to find trusted resources to ask questions. Uh, I never want to tell someone not to ask questions. Um, but I would just say that we need to look at really the peer-reviewed science. I, I turned to the American Heart Association when I had a question about uh, myocarditis. Um, I look at resources like the CDC. I go to PubMed and I pull up articles and look at those. And, and that's really where I would uh, encourage people to keep turning when they have those questions. You're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Um, just on the mRNA technology that's in the shots, there are some other uses for it, right? Can you talk briefly about what, what else that goes into? I believe that this actually came out of investigation into uh, vaccines to prevent the virus that causes AIDS and to HIV. And so this technology would not be limited to COVID. Uh, this just happened to be the the first you know kind of proving ground for it so but an mrna vaccine could be used very broadly for a number of infectious agents and, and then we still have a number of vaccine preventable illness or illnesses around the world that we would love to have a vaccine for uh, malaria for example um and so mm -hmm. i think we still should always be investigating these technologies. Be investigating, of course you want them sure. To be safe. Let, if I may, let's get Steve in Tampa on the line. He's got a question for you, Dr. Coward. Go ahead, Steve. Hi, Steve from Tampa. A quick question. Um, and I happen to be a lawyer, but I, I've got no dog in this beyond just a question. We were kind of taught at the very, very beginning as it regards criminal law. There's a difference between an evil heart and an empty head. 
And that's kind of a fundamental distinction. And I'm just wondering what the participants, you know, in this conversation, what they think maybe Governor DeSantis is going to find that's criminal and why a grand jury is more appropriate than, for example, a, you know, a blue ribbon panel that's got folks on all sides of the issue. Thank you, Steve. That's really more of a political question, which we're going to get into after the break. Uh, Dr. Cowart, cynics might uh, call this grand jury performative. So I have I have concerns about um, undermining the science, shall we say. Again, I think asking questions is perfectly appropriate. But the caller just asked about criminality and a criminal investigation. You know, I'm not a lawyer. When I hear grand jury, I start to worry about criminal charges. Um, and I'm deeply concerned about questioning the rest of the scientific community in this way, applying criminality you know, language, and then applying this to vaccines broadly. And we're already seeing reduction in pediatric vaccine uptake across and hold Florida that thought, and in Duval County. Hold that thought, Dr. Cowart, because we want to get into that. More discussion about this story when we come back here on the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. And I'm Matthew Petty in Tampa. And let's continue now with Dr. Jen Coward of the Florida Physicians Advocacy Group, Doctors Fighting COVID, and Eric Sarkeesian, health reporter at Politico. Uh, Eric, let's go to you. Uh, right before the break, we heard uh, an attorney call in saying, what is the real point of this grand jury. Uh, what do you make of the timing of his call for a grand jury as you look at this through the governor's presidential aspirations? In the in the lens of the governor's aspiration, or his aspirations for the White House are one thing, but he's also looking at timing before the legislature because I want options on how he wants to respond to any results from this grand jury if, if they find anything. What, what he's asked the grand jury to look at is, or if the court, of course, it agrees to impanel the grand jury is to look at like any misleading his 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 what he had said during the news conference the other day was that he's looking for it, it is against the law to mislead consumers so he this 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 actual petition that he that his office filed um includes news releases put out by uh moderna which produced one of the vaccines that uses the mrna mrna technology then there's pfizer which also uses that same technology uh, statements that saying that you know this vaccine would stop you you know would would prevent you from getting the you know COVID nineteen obviously as time went on that was that was proven to be false even he had said that at the at the very beginning I've been covering this since the first cases back in March uh, twenty twenty mm -hmm. um, so the the big issue that he wants is is that whole is misleading the public and bolstering him he has our Surgeon General Joe Latipo who is who questions all vaccines he actually just put out a book. Um, uh, is a called transcend fear, where he actually says he he's questioning what they said in medical school, or they made it sound like vaccines were were the gospel. You had to go with them. It wasn't a question. He's now questioning all of that in that book. So let alone this mRNA technology. We have a call about that. It's Nancy, a physician, I believe. Nancy in Jacksonville. Go ahead, Nancy. Yes. Yes. Hi. I just wanted to comment to tie together what we've heard. Those of us old enough to remember polio know it was 
it was a real problem, which vaccines have thankfully mostly eradicated. And to paint vaccines in a light of negativity without fact. And please remember, the vaccines decrease the rates of dying very significantly and unequivocally, especially for older Americans. And this this Surgeon General is extremely concerning. If you do even a cursory search, you will find the company he keeps are hugely conspiratorial and um, question, as your speaker just said, the efficacy of vaccines writ large, which hurts Florida's public health. We already have a shortage of teachers and healthcare workers and so on. And so by extension, by appointing this man as our Surgeon General, our governor has done us a terrible disservice. That's my comment. All right. Thank you for that. So, uh, Eric, what about the strongly voiced concerns we're hearing from doctors and healthcare workers and other uh, medical professionals that these moves by the governor and his Surgeon General uh, are opening the door to uh, people declining not just the COVID vaccine, but other uh, important vaccines? Uh, the the whole slew of vaccinations kids have to get, for example, to go to school, uh, inoculations against polio, whooping cough, um, measles, the gamut, you know, meningococcal vaccines and such. Uh, is this move by the administration endangering public health, as some doctors are saying? If you, some doctors are saying that, and actually, you know, I, I actually I remember reading a medical. It was actually a, a book I had to read in college, which I admit is many moons ago, but it actually mentioned like you know, vaccines like the polio vaccine and how it helped how it helped stop that, you know, that health crisis. Um, I think even not to refer back to Dr. Latipo's book, but he even brings it up there. He even he even questions whether he wants to see the success rate of the polio vaccine in you know in you know in the years down the road. Um, so they they feel so. Dr. Lattipo, Surgeon General Latipo at least feels very strongly that all of these vaccines should be should be questioned and, and researched and and you know and and you know and, and examined to make sure that they're safe. But obviously these are you know this is generally you know arousing more uh, uh, more people to fall under the you know anti-vax crowd so to speak. Uh, more people are questioning all sorts of vaccine. I mean a lot of people the big the biggest. Biggest misconception, and I'm gonna give you a layman's explanation, but with mRNA, people think of like Jurassic Park, like dino DNA or something, where you know, where this is going to change the building blocks of life. This mRNA is it has been explained to healthcare professionals uh from my recording, is that this just changes a specific set of cells and it tells them mm-hmm. it may be in, in case of Omicron to make a specific set of proteins. Um that's it's it's very but people get spooked, you know, people get spooked by the thought of, you know, of their you know, building blocks of life being being you know controlled. So there's there's definitely a lot of uh, opposition there. Dr. Cowart. Yeah, I I want to just you know to to highlight that these vaccines are already studied very thoroughly. Whether it's the measles vaccine or the polio vaccine or the COVID vaccine, they are studied heavily. Um, and so calling for extra study is in my mind, we're going beyond, I have a concern about a a specific scientific product or specific medicine or drug that I wish to investigate. Um, And we're starting to get into, uh, you know, really just 
looking for things to cause trouble, if that makes any sense. And, and again, I'm not trying to undermine that scientific inquiry is important. I think we should be doing post, uh, post-market surveillance on all of these vaccines, as well as all medications. We do find very important things that come up after a drug is released to market. And sometimes that leads to a drug being taken off the market after the fact, because we identify a safety signal. That system is already in place and all that study is happening in that investigation. Um, One of the ways that the COVID vaccine has been brought under extra scrutiny in Florida was an unpublished analysis that the Department of Health released. um, And in their terms, they believed it it showed an increase in the rate of cardiac death in young men after receiving the vaccine. But the reason why I emphasize unpublished and unpeer-reviewed is because this, this this piece of uh, material has never gone through the type of peer review that every other journal article has to go through. And in fact, when it was reviewed by multiple experts in not only the COVID vaccine, but also the type of scientific analysis they were trying to do, they found so many methodologic problems with the analysis that it would never be published in a high-ranking medical journal, Mm. not because anyone has an interest in suppressing the results, but because their results were not verifiable. And so every other major study looking at millions of recipients of the COVID vaccine have not showed this kind of increased risk. I have a dedicated interest, uh, uh, right? Hold hold, hold that thought one second. Uh, You're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Matthew, why don't you pick it up? Uh, yeah, it, obviously a, a lot of concerns from the scientific community. I just wanted to kick it back to Eric for a moment, if I could, um, and on the notion of you know doing more investigation into some of these concerns that uh, uh, Joseph Latipo and Governor DeSantis and others have raised. DeSantis announced the creation of what he calls a public health integrity committee to offer guidance on COVID treatments and critique advice coming from the CDC. Eric, do we have more details about who would be on the panel, how it would work, what kind of recommendations might come out of it, and follow up from that? Sure. There are the the people on the panel include the um, so the, they're known as the founders of what's called the Great Barrington Declaration, which early in the pandemic it was uh, Mar- uh, Dr. Martin Kildorf, who is a Harvard uh, a Harvard uh, epidemiologist who's on leave right now. And then uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford University Medical School, they came together, put out this declaration, basically saying that we probably need to slow the roll on the on the on the lockdowns and the mask use and and almost as adopt this herd approach. Uh, you know, Dr. Latipo is one of the signatories of this document. Other, but there's like forty thousand of them. Um, at, at the at the end of the day, you know that that panel is essentially you know they're offering guidance. Basically, they're saying follow our guidance because we don't want you to trust the CDC essentially. Actually, I think in one of the, in one of the records that I think that the, the DeSantis administration released to, to media was, it actually said that like, there, you know, if you want information, come to us first and you can't trust the CDC anymore. Um, so it, in one respect and looking at it for ambitions, for ambitions for the White House in the future, he's essentially creating his vision for what his, what is, you know, what his administration would look like if we were to get that. He's, you know, creating his own, CDC and his own oversight committee. Um, they're 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 conducting studies. Uh, Dr. Latipo's, you know, expanding that study, uh, that that study with only I think it was like 35 individuals, I believe, um, mm-hmm. and you know, making it much larger. And he's working with uh, medical examiners. There's 25 medical examiners' offices in the state. 
um, and working with him pulling and pulling death records and pulling and trying to match those deaths related to the cardiac deaths that he was speaking about when the in the earlier study about about the heart problems. So there's really a, there's really a case to build. It's, it's almost like they're trying to build this giant case, but I can't help but point out it almost sounds like he's also trying to create his own vision for you know how he would handle things when he's if he were to be up there. So because he's obviously getting national attention. Right, uh, Dr. Cowett, real quick, um, what about that? A kind of a, a a research study arm coming out of the state of Florida and and directing people to pay attention to us, not the CDC, in the last minute or so. What, what do you think of that? Uh, I, I find it deeply concerning. The CDC is not perfect or a human institution, but they continue to study and research and they have the best equipment and scientists and labs in the world to do these investigations. And so I think deliberately undermining them and trying to establish our own smaller research cohort here that isn't using the scientific uh, techniques even correctly uh, to do these analyses that then are not published in the scientific literature in a way that we could all then go and analyze yeah. and debate. Mm -hmm. I, I just find that outside of the usual processes of science and that gives me more concern. We've been speaking with Dr. Jen Cowart with Doctors Fighting COVID. Dr. Cowart, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And Eric Sarkissian, health reporter with Politico. Eric, thanks as well. Always a pleasure. And that's our show. The Florida Roundup is produced by WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville and WLRN Public Media in Miami. Heather Schatz and Nachu Chue are show producers. WLRN's Vice President of Radio, our Technical Director is Peter Mertz. Engineering help from Doug Peterson, Charles Michaels and Brady Corum. Richard Ives answers the phone. Theme music by Miami jazz guitarist Aaron Lebos at AaronLebos.com. I'm Matthew Petty. And I'm Melissa Ross. Thanks for being with us and have a great weekend.